Welcome to ESG Unlocked by ISS Corporate, a podcast that features engaging and insightful discussions with ESG and sustainability experts around the world. I am your host, Pamela Mutumwa. On this episode, we will be honoring Women's History Month with our guest, Alicia Syrett, who will be providing insight into the world of corporate governance from a board gender diversity perspective. Brace yourselves for my introduction of Alicia as she is a powerhouse woman with exceptional credibility. Alicia Syra possesses two MBA degrees from the London Business School and Columbia Business School. She is the founder of Madam Chair. She serves as the chair of the board of directors and chair of the governance, nominating and sustainability committee of Digimar Corporation, which is a publicly traded tech company. She was named as the Board Director of the Year by Women in IT Awards USA. She published So You Say You Support Diversity in Directors and Boards magazine and has been quoted in the National Association of Corporate Directors, NACD, Directorship magazine. In addition, Alicia is the founder and CEO of Pentegrian Capital, which is an investment vehicle focused on early stage investments. Alicia has been named for the Women of the Year shortlist by the Women in Asset Management Awards, one of LinkedIn's top voices in startups and entrepreneurship, one of the 30 women in venture capital to watch by Business Insider. She has a fantastic TED Talk on why VCs and angel investors say no to entrepreneurs. Alicia has been featured in Forbes, Fortune, Wall Street Journal, Yahoo Finance, TechCrunch, The Huffington Post, Entrepreneur, NPR's Marketplace, USA Today, CNBC, PBS, MSNBC, and Fox Business. There's still a lot more to highlight, but I'll let you look her up so we can get started. Alicia, welcome to ESG Unlocked. It's such an honor to have you here with us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for the conversation. Well, we have so much to talk about and not a lot of time, so I'd like us to get right into it, if that's okay with you. Sounds great. Awesome. We know women have always had an uphill battle for equal opportunity and leadership roles in the corporate space, which we also see reflected on board roles as well. And that's something you are very familiar with in your line of work. So I'd like you to set the scene for our listeners. Where are we today as far as women making progress? So the short answer is, is we're just not where we need to be yet, right? I mean, I, I would think in an ideal world, we want to aim for parity. And if you look at the numbers now, maybe in the U.S., it's 30-something percent representation of women. In other parts of the world, it may be as low as 10%. And we really need to get to a, a point where it's closer to parity. It may not always be 50-50, but if you have an odd number board, like seven in our board, for example, you really should aim to have three out of seven as women or four out of seven as women. So if you're kind of in the 40s, of representation, I think you're doing pretty good, and we're just not there yet, unfortunately. It's interesting how even reaching for 40 is considered a good achievement. But, you know, that's just a sign, like you're saying, of where we are right now. There's actually an example of a case I'd like to share with our listeners and just summarize. This is a California law, which is called SB 826, and this was passed in 2018. It required that publicly traded companies that are headquartered in California specifically include at least one woman on their boards by the end of 2019. Mm -hmm. The law also mandated that by the end of July 2021, at least two women must sit on boards with five members and at least three women must sit on boards with six or more members. This law was uh, put on hold and since then you can see a drop in women on boards in California. 
Now, I was reading a Forbes article that cited that in June 2018, just before the law's requirements kicked in, 183 of California's public companies had all-male boards. Fast forward four years later, after this law was passed, we see a dramatic drop to just nine companies that were all-male boards. However, this trend has seen a noticeable reversal since the law was put on hold, and currently 22 California companies have exclusively male boards. Right, so we went down to nine, now it's going up again, and we're at 22. And this is only looking at California alone, which reflects higher diversity on boards in general, statistically compared to when we look at a U.S. national level. Mm -hmm. My takeaway from this trend is without mandates like this California law, which aimed to increase board gender diversity, which it was successful while it was, you know, instated, we see that when we leave companies to their own device, women will continue to be passed up for the opportunity to serve on publicly traded corporate boards. Now, in your observation, Elisha, regardless of mandates, how do companies that are intentionally looking to build gender diversity in their boardroom identify and nominate qualified women so they don't miss out on the value that their unique perspectives provide their stakeholders? Well, I think first you, you identified that mandates do work. And in absence of mandates, I think you have to have someone internally, at least one person in your board that really is taking responsibility for it and driving it. I can tell you from my own experience, I also chair NAMGA for our board. And it is something that I spend so much time on. You have to have someone who's partnering with the board, partnering with the CEO, so you get both the strategic and governance perspectives. But it is work. And you really do always have to be recruiting to some extent. I kind of joke around and call it ABR, always be recruiting. <laughs> but it really is a combination. And I can speak to some of the, the board searches we've done. It's a combination of direct outreach and thinking about are we looking to bring a chief marketing officer or chief revenue officer on our board and kind of mapping out the space and, and contacting people directly? But more specifically on the diversity side, there are so many resources out there. There really is no excuse anymore. And when I think about the work we've done for our own board, we found someone phenomenal from the Latino Corporate Directors Association. So you can contact them. We found someone fantastic from him for her, and they provide that service where they make introductions to great candidates. Of course, most people are probably familiar with the internal efforts that Goldman and JP Morgan have, Alana Wolf at Goldman, Rebecca Thornton at JP Morgan. They'll send candidates. Mm -hmm. We are not a, a NYSC company, but there is a service with the NYSC led by Suzanne Brown, who runs ESG efforts there, where she'll introduce NYSC companies to diverse candidates to help diversify their boards. We've posted on board prospects in the past. We found phenomenal candidates there. There's the LGBTQ Directors Association, Black Women on Boards, and, and it's an exhaustive list, but my, I'm trying to make a point, and that is there are so many great organizations out there that if you're thinking about a strategic need for your board, or you're thinking about more diverse perspectives, like the very first step would be contacting a handful of these organizations and just getting introduced to some of these great candidates. There are so many phenomenal people out there and so many organizations that are poised to help boards get there. So basically what you're saying is to intentionally diversify your board, you really actually have to go out there. You have to seek these organizations that are Making it easy, really, right? Yes, Depending on right. what you're looking for, where there's opportunity to grow and diversify, there are organizations that are there to partner with. Yeah, so. and you have to put in the work. You really do. This has to be a constant dialogue. You have to constantly be thinking about where the voids are, how you can better your board and, and talk to mm -hmm. people. 
and think about that as, as a very dynamic process, not just kind of the one-off when you get pressure from, a, from yeah. an institutional investor about how you need to change. It's a constant process. Not reactionary, but really you're responding to the dynamics as they change. Absolutely. Now, something I'd like us to explore and talk a little bit more about is an observation I made through our ISS corporate data. And it's that overall, when we look at the numbers between 2022 and 2023 for new board seats that went to women, for Fortune 500 companies, it went down from 41.3% to 40.8%. And for the Russell 3000, we also saw a decline in new board seats going to women from 43.5% to 387 Many of the seats went to people who had CEO and CFO on their resume. And obviously, if we just look at CEO experience, we see that women will more likely be excluded because women hold very few CEO positions than men today. What would you attribute to the trend of new board seats going to individuals with CEO or CFO on their resume? Yeah, I mean, I see this a bit as a, a pendulum swinging in one direction and coming back in another direction. I think the, the pendulum swung hard in reaction to a number of different factors. I think we had regulatory factors where we had bodies like the SEC pushing for more cyber coverage, mm-hmm. uh, human capital mandates. We had institutional investors pushing for more ESG. We had a macro event of the pandemic, which really focused boards on chief human resources officers and and chief people officers, and you had the diversity mandates, you know, getting pressure from both institutional investors and rating agencies. And so I think that for the last several years, there really had been that push of like, you know, how do we get more diverse members? How do we think about cybersecurity expertise? How do we think about ESG expertise? How do we think about human resource officers? And now I feel like the pendulum really has swung back in the other direction, where it's a little bit back to basics, where it's like, you always need a financial expert on your board, and that's where the CFOs will always come into play, and you always need to drive the PL, and that's where the past background of CEOs come into play. And I do think that as more women come into these roles, you expand the pipeline and, and more women will come in through these CFO or CEO type profiles. I really do think that this is a case of a pendulum swinging, and I think, not that I am in a position to predict where it goes from here, but there will always be new mandates that come out from the regulatory bodies and new demands from the institutional investors and new pushes from the rating agencies. What those will be, I don't know. I mean, to me, that feels like a little bit more of a natural kind of moving one way and then moving the other, and I don't think it stays here either. I think it becomes more responsive to more macro trends once they start to to come out, and and we, we shall see, but I think that's what it's about. Interesting. I mean, the takeaway here from your point is that it's the market, the economy, some of these macro factors that are affecting the skills that are necessary during a certain period of time. I think that's right. I think that's right. Something I want us to cover is what does a diverse board look like and what impact can it have on a company? Well, when I think about this, I think about it from so many different perspectives, right? And and even in answering this question, I may not cover them all, but I think if I were to kind of narrow it down to five or six big points, I think, first of all, it's really important to have a a board that is diverse from the perspective of the employees. I think employees like to look to the board and say, these are role models for me. I can see myself in leadership. I believe I have a path to success here. And I think that that matters. I also think that to the extent that we're thinking about the the diverse skills of a board, in some ways, we almost mirror 
the executive team. And so we want the diversity of skill sets too, so that we can serve as very strong mentors. We can give strategic input across all areas of the business. I think you need different perspectives, whether that's from gender perspective or age perspective, because you need to be able to highlight issues within a company. Have you done pay equity analysis? Are your benefits addressing the needs of young employees versus people that may be taking care of elderly parents? You know, that's gender, that's age diversity. I think you have to also think about tenure of the board itself. You want to bring in new board members and get fresh perspectives and tap into some of the things that that they see with kind of a clean look at the board and the company. But you also want older members from the institutional knowledge perspective. And I think you also want to think about the backgrounds of all your board members in terms of like, how do we tap into all of their own networks? How do we, yeah. how do we bring in someone who has colleagues and Black women on boards and can bring all of those like talented perspectives into our board conversations? And I mentioned the Latino Corporate Directors Association. How do we bring someone in that also can tap into all of their contacts there? How do we tap into different school alumni groups, combination of so many things. But the bottom line is, one, to avoid groupthink, but also to bring in all of these different perspectives, the age, the gender, the backgrounds, the skill sets, the tenure, all of it, because all of that creates a much more robust and enriched dialogue. Yes. And that, I think, is what we try to aim for. And, and also just the insights internally of what happened within a company Mm -hmm. um, the lived experiences, the things you pull out of HR surveys, the interactions with the employee resource groups. It's a level of depth that you really can only get when you have diversity on the board. Absolutely. You brought up a great example of being able to analyze employee surveys and how do you even interpret what they're saying? And I think what you would consider a solution is a reflection of your own experiences, your own perspectives don't have a diverse group of individuals looking at this data and analyzing it, you won't have rich options, right? In terms of what, what could we do here? What strategy could we approach to some of the challenges we see being communicated by our employees? So I think that's, that's really something I wanted to emphasize there. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You could have looked at HR surveys in the middle of the pandemic and you could have maybe said, oh, well, maybe some part of our employee base is really struggling with work-life balance. But I think if you have the perspective of people on the boards that maybe know the gender dynamic of what's going on and some of the work burden that was being transferred more to the working moms versus the yes. working dads, like that kind of insight could get straight to the heart of the matter is like, wait a second, is there something here directly in one part of our employee base that we really need to address that's also going on on a macro level? And how do we extend some extra support during this particular time? And how do we think about addressing specific needs here and there to make sure that everybody has that opportunity to excel and be productive and come to work with their full self. I think a lot of times the different perspectives of these surveys and the data mm -hmm. is, um, is brought about through the diverse perspectives that, that exist in the board. Absolutely. Now let's talk about the challenges and opportunities for women of color whose numbers are even more dire, right? When you look at it, what can individuals who may consider themselves to be allies and are currently serving on boards, what can they do to support moving the needle by pulling women of color up with them? So when I think about this question, I think about both in terms of getting more people of color on boards and also when you're on a board, how do you support your colleagues in 
ascending into leadership roles and really fulfilling their goals on boards. And I think a lot of it really comes down to sharing information. On the leadership front on boards, I'll tell you, I've done some work with my Madam Chair group a group of 250 plus lead directors and, and chairs of publicly traded companies that are women, we, we've partnered with other groups. So we partnered with Black Women on Boards, for example, to do an event where we had Robin Washington, the lead director of Salesforce, speak about what it was like to be a lead director and what that entails. We had a, another event with Extraordinary Women on Boards where we talked about what is the chair role and the lead director role like? You know, How did you get into the role? Did you change the bylaws? Did a search firm put you in? Did your colleagues elect you? Did an activist put you in? What does that mean to be in that role? Do you attend all the meetings? Do you have pre-board calls, et cetera? And so I think part of it is, how do you share the information that you've learned from being on a board and from having leadership positions to kind of demystify the roles and give people the access to excel and the knowledge to excel? I think you also have to make a very concerted effort to include your colleagues and things, whether it's maybe meetings with CEOs or recognizing the specific talents that they bring into conversations and tapping them. Understand that you're really excellent at human capital management in this area. You have perspectives of working with ERGs. Like, let's carve out some time in a meeting and have you talk about that. And I think that you have to also take time to really talk to your colleagues about their own leadership goals. If they're saying, look, I want to be a chair one day, well, what does that mean? Does that mean that you have to become a committee chair first? If so, where do you need to dig deep? What are some of the resources I could suggest to you? How did I kind of make that path happen on my end? And so I think it really does come down to sharing a lot of information making sure people have access to the knowledge and then really making a concerted effort to kind of pull people along with you yeah. and, and help them achieve those goals. It's work like a lot of other things. And if it's meaningful to you, then you really have to put in the time to help other people get there too. This is very insightful. I think representation matters. There's very little representation for women of color. And so allies have so much power and influence in this space. And I think it's it's really encouraging to give insight into that. What can they do? They literally can do something. So absolutely. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to glean from you is you lead an organization called Madam Chair, and that's a strong network of women. Like you said, it's over 250 female chairs and lead directors. Your members represent over 35% of the women holding these mm -hmm. leadership roles in the U.S. across all industries and market capitalizations. You have access to real-time, honest, and candid feedback from women who are living these experiences. I have two questions for you regarding this. Mm -hmm. What sort of unique challenges do you see women on boards typically facing versus their male colleagues? And the second question is, what unique perspectives do women typically find that they offer in the boardroom? Yeah, it's funny because I was reflecting back on some of the conversations we've had within Madam Chair. And I will say, quite honestly, we don't really have a lot of conversations where it's like, what's it like to be a woman in the boardroom or like, what's our you know specific gender lens? But I, I do think if I reflect on this kind of more broadly, I do think a lot of us have a shared experience of maybe being the first woman on a board or in the minority in the board where some of the traits that we have brought to the board or the skill sets we brought to the board have had to be introduced for the first time, right? And so maybe there's the added um, onus on us of not only bringing 
a perspective on human capital management or diversity or ESG, but also taking a step back and even educating on the importance of these things in the first place, like the importance yeah. of diversity before we maybe push for, for that or the importance of board assessments before we institute that process. I have read a lot of research around the different offerings that women bring to boards. And I, and I know that so much of this is documented, so I won't go too deep on this, but I've read that with this diversity, with the different gender perspectives, you have a documented improvement in business outcomes and return on investment. There's often a more rust, robust decision-making progress. There's also a, a big, bigger focus on corporate social responsibility. There is often a bigger focus on risks and really appreciating and digging into risks. And Women often bring a very strong consumer perspective, especially for consumer-related companies. If the women in the households are often doing a lot of the purchasing, they bring that direct perspective as a mom, as a consumer. And so I think that it's coming back to what we've said in a lot of this conversation of just the importance of diversity and bringing in those different perspectives that may not exist. And sometimes educating for the first time on the importance of, of these topics in the first place. Like anything, when you want to get buy-in, you need to provide a business case, right? right? Like you're saying, you need to introduce the value of it. Why is diversity in this um, particular case important? What value does it bring to the table? That's your business case. And then from there, you get buy-in because at the end of the day, there's shareholder value to be looked at, right? You're not just doing things just for the sake of doing it. You actually are trying to create growth and success that's sustainable, that's right. Last thing I wanted to get from you here, Alicia, while we have you is you have an amazing track record when it comes to working with ambitious people, entrepreneurs, and leaders alike, providing feedback and guidance on their ideas and their vision. Now, what advice would you offer up to young talent? What would you tell the enthusiastic next generation leaders of women who aspire to bring their value and unique perspectives to the table, what would you say to them? Well, if I were to reflect on my own experience, I found it very valuable to join a nonprofit board. And I will say that was the first time I was introduced to Robert's Rules of Order and, and the committee structure. So just really getting mm -hmm. uh, your arms around what a board looks like or operates or you know what the, what the bylaws are like, that I think is, is important. I, I also would encourage people to really throw themselves into the startup world if that's of interest to them. I served on a lot of private boards. I served on advisory boards. I mentored a lot of entrepreneurs. And so that was really fun for me. But also, more importantly, it gave me a sense of where I could contribute and where I could provide value. And I did a lot of that through angel investing. So that may be an option for some people, maybe not. If it's not, or, or even if it is, regardless, I would definitely recommend throwing yourself into all of the different resources that are out there. I joined the NACD long before I ever became a member of a public board just to get in the flow of information. There's tons of great podcasts like this one that people can listen and, you know, just put their finger on the pulse of what people and boards are talking about. There are centers of excellence by all the accounting firms, like really sign up for the newsletters, join board prospects and join some of these affinity groups if, if they're relevant for you, you know, join him for her and submit your background to board prospects and think about all of the different groups out there that might be relevant to offer you education around what being a board member is like and what particular challenges or offerings that you might have in that community. So I would say, you know, just throw yourself in to the information and, and put yourself out there for smaller boards or nonprofit boards to start and build on that experience. And then hopefully you'll get to the corporate board as a next step. I love the idea of throwing yourself out there. 
You have to start somewhere and opportunities beget opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. Having that long-term vision of, okay, I just got to get out there. I got to get started. I love that. Thank you so much for your feedback and, you know, this little last bit of inspiration and guidance to the next generation of leaders. We really appreciate you being on the ESG Unlocked Delicia. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was an honor. This was ESG Unlocked brought to you by ISS Corporate. As your host, I appreciate you listening in and encourage you to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues, as our mission is to help you better understand the evolving governance, compensation, sustainability, as well as the cyber risk landscapes. To keep up to date on new episode releases, you can subscribe to ESG Unlocked on your preferred streaming service. You can also follow ISS Corporate on LinkedIn for additional insights as we continue to explore and unlock the value of ESG.